0: We'll open your Bibles to John chapter 4. We'll be studying uh, from there. Uh, If you got one of the sermon handouts, you can see that it is front and back. Uh, We will probably do a two-part sermon on this, so we will continue this sermon next week. We'll get as far as we can today, but we will continue it next week. Um, As you know, we've been enrolled. In the School of Evangelism, uh, we went through Rob Whitaker's lesson, and this is a lesson that Rob wrote as a part of the School of Evangelism to encourage us to look for contacts of people that we can teach the gospel to, that we can um, encourage them to come visit us, to learn more, and to uh, always look and never uh, judge the hearts of men. So. So this morning, our title of our lesson is Jesus, the Politically Incorrect Evangelist. You know, I think that term, "Jesus, the political incorrect, is a phrase that did not become very popular until about a few years ago. And when we talk about being politically correct, what we're talking about is, you know, they're always making sure what they're saying is not offensive. They're not going to step on anybody's toes... That they are going to just simply smooth over what they've said. Maybe they're going to make sure what they say is not controversial in any way. That they're just going to smooth it over. They're going to say smooth words. But somebody that is politically incorrect is going to take all the rules of the political system, as far as being a politician, and just throw them out the door. They're going to say what's on their mind. They're just going to say the hard facts. They're going to just say whatever's on their mind. And when we look at Jesus and His teachings in the Bible, do we see Jesus being a politically correct type person? Or we see Jesus as a politically incorrect kind of person? And and when you study the Scriptures, you're going to simply see Jesus was a politically incorrect kind of teaching. When you look at Matthew chapter 23 and you look at that whole chapter, it's all read in your Bible because it's a sermon by Jesus but there's one phrase you're going to see over and over and over again throughout that whole chapter. And it is, woe unto you. Woe unto you, Pharisees, scribes, hypocrite." I mean, here Jesus is he's calling them out for the sins in which they are committing. He's calling them out for the things in which they were doing that was wrong. And he says, woe to you. And he even calls them in verse number 23 of that, or 33 of that chapter, you, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you, you the, escape the damnation of hell? I mean, Jesus was just putting it as bluntly as he possibly could when he was talking to these people. So when we look at Jesus, when we look at him as the master teacher, because he was, we 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 studied that. We looked at how Jesus deferred and did not debate, how He showed people and didn't tell, and how, how He planned and didn't pick. He didn't just look at the outside, but He looked at the hearts of people. But we understand that Jesus is one that put it bluntly, the one that, that simply said it how it was. And if we want to change this country, if we want to change the direction in which the churches of Christ are going, we don't need to look to Washington, D.C. for our answers. We don't need to, to to think that Congress or the Supreme Court is going to fix our decisions, but rather it is going to be because we are the Church of Christ and we are going to evangelize to change the hearts and souls of men, that's going to change families, that's going to change cities, that's going to change this whole world. Each year we are losing over a hundred congregations, eighteen hundred or eighteen thousand members if If a doctor was to see those stats and walk into a room, they would say, whoa, 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 something's not right here. Stats. This person is dying. And when we look at the Lord's church, we need to see, we need to be people that are about the Lord's business and studying God's Word and be one like Jesus was. And that is the politically incorrect that. And when we look in the Word of God, we see that Jesus was politically incorrect because of several things that we're going to look at this morning. But to sum them up, we see that Jesus is politically incorrect because He violated religious, moral, social, cultural, and national norms. Jesus did not care. Jesus did what was right in the sight of God, and because of that, He became politically incorrect. So what, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this account in John chapter 4. As we look at the Samaritan woman and how Jesus encountered her. And see how that was not one that was politically correct. Like I said, the churches of Christ is rapidly dying. And when we look at this, we're going to look at the New Testament. Number one, look at verse number four of John chapter four. There Jesus, or the account the says this. But he needed to go through Samaria. What that tells us about the language of this evangelist was he was not a vacationer. He was not one that, that went here for vacation, but rather he needed to go there. That word there in that text is very, very important because it shows that Jesus did not let culture close the door to souls. Culture did not allow him to close the door to the soul. If we're going to be like Jesus, then we need to get going in our purpose. What was the purpose of Jesus in his life here on earth? It was to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19 and verse number 10. And if that was Jesus' mission, what do you think our mission needs to be? Our mission needs to be the same mission of Jesus. And that is to seek and to save that which was lost. And why do you think he gave us the great commission? Was because that way we could go into all the world and preach the gospel. That way we can be just like Jesus. Jesus seeking, save the lost. Our mission... That Jesus gave us was to seek and to save the lost by preaching the gospel to every creature. That word must is much deeper here because Jesus was Jesus' mission was Samaria. And this was a track, this was a route that many people did not travel. Many people, many Jews would in fact travel around Samaria simply to avoid that area. But what did Jesus do? What did the text say in there, verse number four? But he needed, he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he realized there were souls there that were at stake. Now, if you know anything about old New Testament living styles, it was very unpopular. It was very politically incorrect for a Jew to be sitting down with a Samaritan, yet much less a Samaritan woman. But what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't just dodge around it by walking around Samaria and going to another city, but he went right through it because this was his way of not closing a door because of culture. We don't need to prejudge people. We don't need to think about what society says. We need to keep our scope of teaching God's, of people, God's way. What did Jesus say in there when he was giving that great commission in Matthew's account? Go into all the world and what? Actually, so that's Mark's account. Matthew's account says, "Go ye and teach all nations, not just one religious group, not just one social economic status, not just one gender, not just one race, but what he say, go teach all nations, because that's what Jesus did, right? He did, it didn't matter about culture, it didn't matter about their ethnicity. He went and taught the people because that person has a soul, and that soul is going to spend eternity somewhere." And we need to do that. Our kingdom teaching needs to be one that is broad, just like Jesus' was as well. Secondly, Jesus overcame fatigue. Jesus overcame fatigue. Look down at verse number 6. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, became weary from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So we see here that Jesus is sitting by this well and he was weary, that he was tired from the journey in which he was taking up. What did Paul say concerning weariness and tiredness in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9? And Paul said this, And let us not grow weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap the harvest if we faint not. Don't grow tiresome. Don't grow weary. Don't, don't don't become burdensome. Jesus did not let fatigue run him down. We need to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 11 says, "Let us therefore labor as we enter into that rest, lest any man fall from the same example of unbelief." Hebrews 4 verse number 11. Friends, you, we might be tired. Jesus said, "Come unto me all ye that are labor and heavy laden and what I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, as we just sang, and learn me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. But we see that same thing here, friends. If we and when I was teaching the book of Hebrews several years ago at Riverbend, here in Hebrews chapter two and verse chapter four as well, as it talks about let us enter into that place of rest, I said this: If we want to enter into that place of rest, we got to work on this side of eternity. We've got to be tired on this side of eternity to be able to enter into that rest on that side of eternity. Because we've got to be working. We've got to be doing the will of the Father. We must be working harder than ever to reverse the trend so that we continue to grow as the Lord's church. We need effective evangelism. It is not just the job of the preacher or teachers, but it is the job of each individual. Because there's going to be a time when time is up. Jesus said this in John chapter 9 and verse number 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. We talked about this in the book, in our study in Nehemiah, how that these people took advantage of their time. Took advantage of their opportunities that they had before them. And they worked the works that was before him. So don't let tiredness, don't let weariness run you down. Overcome that. It's a tight, you need rest. But we don't need to be lazy and softball like it says in the book of Proverbs. Thirdly, Jesus began engaging in friendly conversations. He, he took this conversation, as we're going to look at in verse number 7, from a friendly conversation to a spiritual conversation. Look at verse number 7. And a woman of Samaria. Now, like I said, that's politically incorrect in two ways. Number one, she was from Samaria, Jesus being a Jew. But number two, it was a woman. A man talking to a woman. That was politically incorrect during this time. So Jesus overcome both of those boundaries. Ethnicity and gender. Notice here what what he said. Jesus said to her, give me drink. Give me drink. He took this physical conversation and opened his mouth and began the conversation with her. It was one that Jesus does to get into his Bible study with this woman. Many times people enter into the church services and what happens? We try to get in the Bible study right there. Right then. I'm not worried about the Bible study. I want to get to know the person. I want to get to know what they do, what they're, what they like, where they work at. They got a family. There's conversation with them. That's what Jesus does here. He takes this friendly conversation, He builds with it, and then He begins into a spiritual conversation here in a second. But He begins with a, with a friendly conversation. The question that we get asked most when Rob does these personal evangelism seminars is, how do you get in a Bible study? How, how do you do it? How do you, how do you get in that Bible study? Friends, if you want a Bible study, don't ask for it. You can ask for a Bible study in different ways. Well, do you care about the morals of our country? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think I got a solution. Can I show you what, how we can get this country to be a good moral country again? And you begin to study the Bible with them. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 24, A man that hath friends shows him himself friendly, and there, and there, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Jesus did not intimidate conversation about religion in his life, but he simply asked a physical question, and that was, give me drinks. Friendships and conversations are essential to successful evangelism. If you want to be successful in evangelism you got to be friendly and you got to open up conversations that are not spiritual in nature to begin with but more physical that lead to spiritual conversations just like Jesus did. Also looking at verse number 8, Jesus chose a time when others are not around. Notice here verse 7. He says give me drink. Notice where the disciples are. Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. So there was nobody else Around while Jesus was talking to this woman. Salvation is a very personal issue. It requires discussion about the individual sins, the spiritual condition, and privacy is a very important thing about soul winning. You know, Bible studies don't need to take place at Crackerberry. And you know why? Because we're too worried about the food than rather than teaching the person. They don't need to take place at a coffee shop. Why? Because people are around. There's many distractions that can take place in those things. That's why we need to get them in our home. The great evangelists Aquila and Priscilla there in Acts chapter 18, as they heard the preacher Apollos preaching, what did they learn about his preaching? They learned that he was teaching faults concerning baptism, that he was still teaching the baptism of John. And they realized, hey, that's not right. But what did they do to this man that needed to have a Bible study? They didn't shame him publicly. But what does it say? They took him aside. They took him into a private place, Acts chapter eighteen and verse number twenty-six, and expounded the word of God to him more perfectly. They didn't. They didn't do it right there. They didn't stand up in front of the whole congregation in that synagogue and pre, where he was preaching and, and shamed him. They took him privately. The best way for a Bible study is in a private place, a, a quiet setting. Public shaming is needed for public sinning, but private Bible study is needed for soul winning. When a visitor walks into our assembly, we need to follow Jesus and begin with a private conversation then before you move into a personal Bible study. Our third point was Jesus is not put off by potential offensive statements. Jesus is not put off by potential offensive statements. Notice what it said in verse number 9. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for a Jew has no dealings with the Samaritans? That was a very, number one, difficult question, a very hard question for Jesus to encounter. But it was also one that was very uh, offensive offensive in the statement. The words that and the actions of Jesus were shocking to this woman for Jesus had crossed the generation gap towards a time-honored religious censor. Proverbs 15 and verse number 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. We need to be prepared to deal with the difficult issues. We need to be prepared to answer the difficult questions of. Does your, doesn't your church believe in... Why does your church not believe in the mechanical instruments and music? Why is it the church of Christ believes baptism is essential for salvation? Why is it the church of Christ believes they're the only ones going to heaven? We need to be prepared to answer those difficult questions. When Paul visited Athens there in Acts chapter 17, he said, I perceive that you're very very religious in all things. Evangelists must pick their battles wisely and stick to their religious battles. There in Acts 17 as I mentioned Paul was visiting Athens and the spirit was stirred up rampantly with idolatry and Paul began with I perceive that you are very religious in all things. He did not jump all over them for their idolatry worship but rather he started the conversation there and he picked his battles wisely. Another point Jesus offered her something more than she had. Look at verse 10. And this is where you see the conversation go from earthly to physical to spiritual. This is the the turning point in their conversation. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. Underline that phrase in your Bible if you write in your Bible living water it's it's very hard to refuse a gift many people come to our assemblies for the first time to see what we have to offer we will never be able to give out give our religious neighbors we'll never have bigger buildings than them we'll never have better things because they have those things but one thing that we can give them that they can't give them is the truth of the gospel John 8. In verse number 32, we must know Jesus. We must know that his, He has a plan for mankind. But we need to be willing to give. When you think about the church, we are a group of people that are to do good works. We are here to, God created us, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10, for good works. And we need to use our talents for those good works. When somebody comes in and says they need benevolent help, maybe they need some food, we can easily tell the difference between somebody that truly does and doesn't. We need to help them. But the difference between us and the Habitat for Humanity, or the soup kitchen, or, or the food pantry, the typical food pantry, is what? The reason we are helping them physically is because eventually what do we want to do? Help them spiritually. Friends, if we miss that connection between physical and spiritual, then we missed everything. And that's what Jesus says here. Hey, I can, I can give you something that you need. I can give you something that you really need. And we need to give people what they need. But more importantly, we need to give them what they spiritually need. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the church is found in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 10. There where Paul said this, To the intent now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places that might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we have a work in the church that is not tied to soul saving, then we need to shut it down and refocus it because we are about souls. The reason the reason we do benevolence is why? Not just to be good but to help the people spiritually as well. Hopefully open up that door to a Bible study. I think that's one thing that churches miss so much is is they're willing to help people. They're willing to give out food. They're willing to give out gas cards, whatever it might be. But they forget about the spiritual. We need to make that connection to it. We need to help those there. Jesus had to point her in the right direction. Here after Jesus said living water, the, the lady was very confused, right? She was very, she had a lot of questions. Look at verse number 11. The woman said to her, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where, where then do you get the living water? I mean, she missed the whole point, right? I mean, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give you living water. And he ain't talking about physical water from the well, but she's thinking that. Look at verse twelve. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it as the son, as as well as his son and his livestock? This woman was very, very confused about these things, and because she was thinking physical, Jesus was pointing towards a spiritual solution. How do you walk somebody? Into a Bible study. You build a door. While conversating with the lost. Think about how you can cho- choose the subject. To turn from a physical. To a spiritual conversation. If you're talking about morals. And the decline of our country. Use this line. Could I show you something. That could solve our moral problems in our country. And then that is an indirect invitation. To a Bible study. I know a way you can do it. With our benevolent work. Is you help somebody and you say, "Have you ever? Do you know much about the Church of Christ?" Or do you help somebody mow their yard? Maybe you're just being a good Samaritan, helping your neighbor mow their yard. And as you mow their yard and you get done, you, you say, "Have you ever heard much about the Church of Christ?" And what do you think they're going to say? Maybe, maybe they've heard one or two things. Maybe maybe they heard we don't have a piano. Maybe they heard we what we believe about something. They might. Most likely in today's society, they're going to say, "No, I don't know much." And that's where you open up the door and say, well, do you mind if I sit down and show you some things about the church of Christ? I'd love to. they are using a physical way, mowing somebody's grass and helping them physically, and then turning it into a spiritual conversation by saying, can I show you some things about the Bible? Jesus did that. Jesus used that to point her in the right direction. Another important point from this is Jesus did not ignore the sins that could potentially close the door. Look, look at verse 16 through 18. So Jesus here in verse 16 says this. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and says, I have no husband. Verse 8 continuing, verse 17, Jesus said, Are you you have answered well? I have no husband. For You have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. It is in that you have spoken truly. So what does Jesus see here? He knows her past. He knows the sin that she is living in. And he simply did not just oversee it. He knew that he was going to have to handle this issue of her living in her sin. When we talk about people, we need to be ready to deal with problems like this, with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Deal with things that concern people's sins Now that we can help them get to heaven. We need to not ignore their sins, but address their sins in a loving and kind way and say, hey, there is a solution for your sins. It is very difficult... It takes a lot of love to deal with these difficult subjects. An evangelist is not helping someone go to heaven by ignoring or altering the biblical way or biblical view on sin. But salvation requires a discussion of sin like heaven requires a discussion of hell. The subject of marriage was addressed. Those who suggest we can bring a person to Jesus while ignoring their sin is not following their master. Jesus here brings our sin right out to to the table. And he, he he handles those situations well. This will probably be our last point for this morning. But it is this. Jesus emphasized sincerity and truth. He, here he is talking about worship. But he's talking about sincerity and truth. Look at verse 23 through 24. But the hour is coming and now is. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Did Jesus emphasize one more than the other? No, if you go back to verse 23, He says that the hour is that the Father wants people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then again in verse number 24, spirit and in truth. What does that show? Spirit shows your attitude. It shows your sincerity. Truth shows the, the, the Bible. And what is he doing? He's showing balance in both of them. We've got to have a love for the people. That's sincerity. We've got to have a love for the truth that we can show them the truth. And there's got to be balance. Jesus didn't alter the truth because of the situation that this woman was living in. But he told her the truth. But He did it in a loving, compassionate, sincere way. And that's what we have to do too. If we preach, you must mention the plan. Bringing souls to Jesus requires discussion about the church, about the kingdom. Hold a marker here. Let's go to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 8. There in Acts chapter 8 is... It is talking about the Simon the sorcerer and his conversion. Look at verse 12. I I've pointed this out, I think, last week as well, but I want to emphasize this here in this point about Jesus emphasizes sincerity and truth. Because look at what Jesus taught. Because Jesus was the truth, and since Jesus was the truth, and His inspired apostles taught the truth, we need to do it the way they did it. Look at what verse 12 says. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. What do we see that these people taught? They taught the authority of Christ, that is, the name of Christ, how he has all authority in heaven and earth, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. They taught about his kingdom, that is, the church, Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. And they taught about the salvation that is found in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Worshiping in spirit and truth is one of the characteristics that differs from the churches of Christ, right? I mean, a lot of people worship with sincerity. They worship from their heart, but do they worship in truth? They don't worship according to the Bible. pattern, New Testament way of worship that's laid out in the Scriptures. But one thing that the church does is we worship according to the Bible. And we show people what? This is the truth concerning worship. And we need to make sure we show them the truth in a sincere and honest way. Prospects who are unable to change to see a difference are not going to change. For example, emphasizing the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week is a simple and powerful way to point out that the churches of Christ is a part or different from religious groups. That is very simple, but it is the truth. So as we look at John chapter 4, we see a woman who was living in sin, that was a Samaritan, that was a woman, and all these different characteristics. But how did Jesus teach her? He didn't avoid her. He didn't say, you know what? Ah, You're not worth my time. You're not worthy of the gospel and go to somebody else. But He took somebody that during that society in that day was not somebody that would have been politically correct to teach. And what did he do? He taught her the gospel. Now we're going to continue this because our first point next week is Jesus identified the Savior. He pointed her towards Jesus. That's what we need to do with people today. And we're going to continue this study next week because it's kind of a lengthy study, so we're going to continue it next week. But as you look at your bookmarkers that I gave you last week. And if you need those, please let me know. I think we have some on the evangelism table out in the lobby. Think about people you can teach. Remember the three principles of a soul winner? Defer, don't debate. Show, don't tell. And what was that third one? Plant, don't pick. This is a prime example of Jesus not picking and simply planting. When you look at your ten names, as we look at our cards... We pray over them each day. I hope that you fill those out and try to find people that you can reach the gospel. Next week, the end of the sermon, I'm going to show how we're going to use those in the future. But when you look at those, plant. Don't pick. You never know what somebody's soul might be willing to be open up to the gospel. They might not be open up right now, but you never know one day they might be open up to a Bible study. So here we see in John chapter 4, Jesus is pointing and teaching her the gospel. And I'll ask you how this morning, have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 8, we see that inflaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and know not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how do you obey the gospel? I see there that i got to obey the gospel. How do I obey the gospel? you got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Willing to turn from your sins, that is repentance. Say, I'm done with that lifestyle of sin. I'm going to go follow Jesus. By confessing the sweet name of Jesus. And then this is how you obey the gospel. You've got to have those things. But you reenact the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-4 through 4, says that the death, burial, and resurrection is the, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how do I obey that? Romans chapter 6, 3-4. through 4. You are buried in a warrior grave of baptism. Raised up to walk in newness of life. And that's how you obey the gospel. By reenacting the gospel. Dying self to sin. Buried in that water of baptism to have our sins forgiven. Acts 2.38. Acts twenty two sixteen, 16 Raised to walk in a newness of life. Faithful to him until death. Acts uh, Re- uh, Revelation 2 and verse 10. Maybe you're here this morning you need the prayers of the church. And we'll be glad to pray with you and for you to uh, get your life rededicated to Christ. Whatever you need this morning. Come now. Together we stand. And as we see.